The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. And uh, let me add my welcome to uh, Jim's welcome. My name is Joe, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. And uh, we're one of your partner churches. Our church exists because of you. Our church exists literally because of the partnership of Grace on the Ashley. And uh, I was just here a couple of weeks ago, and I guess the elders didn't learn their lesson. Here I am again. So um, as those Calvinists like to say, good luck, everyone. And um, theological jokes are always the best. I love those. Because, you know, for people who get them, they're like, oh, that's really funny. For people who don't get them, they're like, oh, I don't know what's happening right now. And it's just not good. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles and head over to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. Um, In our church, we're working verse by verse through the book of Galatians, and uh, we just, like you guys are doing with Luke, right? We're doing that with Galatians, and we've just, a couple of weeks ago, turned the corner. We're in chapter three right now, and um, the book of Galatians is teaching one main thing. There's lots of things taught in there, but they're teaching one main thing. And the main thing that's being taught there is, is how are men and women and boys and girls made right with God? Not, not only are they, how are they made right with God, but how are they kept in a right relationship with God? It's not just about how you begin, it's about how you continue. Both of those are important. And the book of Galatians is dealing with both of those issues and making sure that we understand that there is a way to be made right with God. Now, the theological term for being made right with God is justification. Justification is the declarative act of God whereby he pronounces a believing sinner innocent, forgiven, and then credits to their account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what justification is. It's not God pretending that you didn't sin. It's not God um, just saying, well, I'll remember your sins no more, as if God could forget anything. I mean, God doesn't choose to forget as in like when you're confessing your sin, he's like, well, I don't really even know what you're talking about. Well, that's not true. And God's not like that. When, it, when the Bible says that God remembers your sins no more, what that means is, is that those sins are not used against you in a punitive way anymore. They're not used against your account. And they can't be because your account has been placed with the righteous account of Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, the righteousness of Christ has been credited to your account. Now, every single theological system religion in the world is trying to answer the question how is man made right with God how do we get this thing right we know intuitively something is wrong how do we get it right and every single system is answering that question in only one of two ways there are really only two answers to the question and and the first answer is God God makes me right with God God starts my relationship with him. God continues my relationship with him. And God will complete the relationship that he started with me and I with him. The other answer is, well, it's all dependent on me. I start the relationship with God. I determine whether or not the relationship with God keeps on going. And I'll ultimately determine whether or not at the end I'm the one who is still in relationship with God. There are different theological names thrown around for those systems, and I'm not interested in even discussing those with you this morning, but I would just say to you that biblical Christianity is set apart from every other belief system in the world because the Bible teaches that God is the initiator of salvation, that God is the continuing force in salvation, and God is the securing one who saves you to the end. I mean, Jesus made it really clear when he said, you are in my hand. My hand is in the Father's hand, right? Now, whose grip is saving who there? Is it my grip on Jesus that's saving me? Or is it his grip on me that is saving me? And I would suggest to you that the Bible teaches that it's the grip of Jesus Christ that saves us. My faith is not in that I'm never going to let Christ go. My faith is in that God's never going to let me go. God's faithful to his promises. He's going to do what he said, and he's going to complete the work that he started. That sets Christianity apart from every other religion, and I would suggest you even the Christian religion. 
And by Christian religion, I mean all of the branches of so-called Christianity that set up a work system that say my relationship with God is determined by me and by my performance. That's not different than Buddhism. That's not different than being Islam or Muslim, right? That's not different than any of those other systems where all of those things are set up based on your performance. Biblical Christianity is based on the performance of Jesus Christ. And that's the message that Paul preached to the churches at Galatia. They heard the good news about Jesus Christ. They turned from their sins and placed their faith in Christ and they were radically saved. Sometime after Paul left, these false teachers show up and they say, listen, Jesus is a good guy. You should listen to him and do what he says. We like him too. But if you really want to be in God's family, you got to keep the Old Testament law because God has actually spoken for thousands of years. We know what he wants. And, and if you want to get specific men, you have to be circumcised or you're outside of God's family. And you have to keep all of the holy days. So their message was Jesus plus something else gives you a relationship with God. And Paul said, that's a false gospel. When I was here with you last time, we talked about other gospels. Paul said, that's a false gospel because it doesn't point people to Christ. It points people to Christ in your performance. The real gospel only has Jesus Christ as the center of the message and nothing else with it. And once I'm in Christ, I have a relationship with God that is perfect from that day forward. Oh, oh, I may not always experience the benefits of that relationship, whether I'm choosing to walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh, Galatians 5 will tell us, but God doesn't change. He's unchanging. And his commitment to me is based on his son. And my relationship with him is based on his performance. Well, the Galatian churches were like, uh, we believe that to begin with, but now we think that it's up to us to really be everything that God wants us to be. And in the first five verses of chapter three, what Paul says to them is, wait, just go back to your personal experience. How did you even get in God's family? How did you become a Christian? Was it that you heard the good news and then you started doing Bible reading every day and you started praying every day and you got rid of all your drugs and all of your illicit sex and you got rid of all of your lust and all of your anger, you cleaned up your life and then God was like, all right, you've done a pretty good job. I think you can get into the family now. Is that how it happened? Did it happen that way for anybody? It didn't happen that way for anybody who's really in God's family. It happened the same way for every person. They heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They heard that there is a holy God who has a right to rule and reign in our lives. And he created us. And we, through our own choice, have rebelled against his rule and reign. The Bible calls that sin. And through our sin and our rejection of God and wanting to be the God of our own life, we have incurred just punishment for our sin, the wrath of God, which will be poured out on us forever because God is not only holy, he's just and he's righteous. But the good news is, is that God is also loving. And while we were yet sinners, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us as a full and complete payment for our sin on the cross, that if we would turn from our sins and place our trust in Jesus Christ, that God would not only forgive us of our sins, but he would adopt us into his family and credit the righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account. The Galatians heard that, and you heard that if you're a Christian, and your response to that message wasn't, I got to be a good person so God will accept me. You heard the message and you placed your confidence in Jesus Christ, the best you knew how. You trusted him to save you. And at the moment that you did that, God's spirit came to live on, inside, live on the inside of you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't clean up your life. In fact, you were still the same person in effect as you were just a few moments ago, but you repented. You changed your mind. And instead of trusting in yourself, you trusted in Christ. So you became a Christian, Paul argues with them in the first five verses of Galatians 3, by hearing with faith, not by works of the law. You, you weren't a good boy and God was like, all right, in the family. You just trusted Christ. You humbly called out to Christ and said, I need you. Save me from the penalty of me and my sins. And what did Christ say? He loves to answer that kind of prayer. He welcomed you into his family and into himself and you're forever in a relationship with God because of what Christ has done. So in the first five verses, Paul says to them, you don't want to go back to the law. Your own experience proves that that's not how it works with God. Having begun by the Spirit of God, he asked them, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh or by your own works? And what's the answer to that question? The expected answer is no. You're not perfected by your own performance and by your own works. You're perfected the same way you got saved. Well, how did you get saved? You, you, how'd you get justified? Because you were good or because Jesus was good? What's, which one? 
All right, I mean, you only have two choices. Was it you or Jesus? Which one was good? Okay, all right, that's a good answer. Jesus is the only one that was good. So you trusted in his goodness and you um, received from God justification. Sanctification is a theological term about how your salvation continues and you grow. If justification was by Christ and trusting in him, how does sanctification happen? By Christ and trusting in him. It's not a new plan. It's not a different plan. That's the argument of the book of Galatians. The same way that you got in is the same way that you continue and the way that you'll be completed. Humble dependence and trust in Christ. That's the answer. Jesus Christ is the gospel. And he is the answer to every single thing that you're facing in your life. And the same way that you get in is the same way that you continue. And so Paul is saying to them, don't go back. Your own experience proves that this isn't how God has relationship with people. But now beginning in verse 6, he does something even better than experience. It's true that happened to them. Now beginning in verse 6, he's going to take them back. And he's going to take them into God's word. And he's going to say to them, let's go back and look at scripture and look at Father Abraham. Let's look at Father Abraham. The title of this morning's message is Father Abraham. We're going to spend some time understanding a little bit about who Abraham was, why he's significant and important, and why any of us living in 2021, South Kakalaki would even care a little bit about Father Abraham. Why does it even matter? It's a good question. It's an important question and one that's answered in our text. The title of the message is Father Abraham. We get it from Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. If you're able, as an act of worship or willing, I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read God's Word from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. If you have another version, that's okay. There's lots of really good translations out there. But you follow along as I read aloud. This is the Word of God. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Let's pray together, church. God, your word is perfect and holy and true, and it speaks to every single situation that we're facing. And our greatest need right now, Lord, is to hear you clearly in the power of your spirit through the proclamation of your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make the messenger nothing, that you would make the message everything, and that we would see Jesus. So open our eyes and bring instruction and conviction and encouragement and understanding of your word. And then, God, I pray that your spirit would use your word to change our minds and change our lives for your glory and our good. We submit ourselves to you for these purposes, and we pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. All right, church, you can be seated. Here's our main idea. It'll be up on the screen for you if you like to take notes. Sometimes you find that's helpful to remember what we were studying. It's this. God has always accepted people on the basis of faith, not on the basis of their performance. When we talk about how God accepts a person, he doesn't have a new plan. That's what Paul's going to show here. His plan has always been the same way about how a person is accepted. And it's not on the basis of your performance, it's on the basis of faith. It has always been this way in God's economy. What he's after, what he approves, what he loves is faith. That's what God loves and that's what God wants. And Paul shows that in this text by looking at Abraham. Now, I think, I, I grew up in this culture and in this country, that if you're like me, for most of us, we hear Abraham, and it's like that, not that big a deal, right? I mean, there is that catchy little song about him. How's that go? Yeah, yeah, you've heard it. It's that one. Just the first part now? That's all you have? Come on, John, where's the rest of that song? John's the only one that knows this song? What's the next line? Okay. Come on, let's go, church. Come on. Okay, all right, all right, that was, that was so terrible. I think you just weren't ready. John, you were perfect. I'm so sorry, brother. You were perfect. We got to get this guy a microphone for next time. I, I blew it on that one. That's my fault. So we got this cool little song after Abraham that three people know, so that's really great. That was a good illustration, Joe. Well done there. Some of you might know your Bibles and have reading through Genesis, and you're like, he was that really old guy that had a baby, right? I'm like, yeah, that was him too. You're kind of thinking about 
the same guy now, but, but like honestly, the fact that I'm talking to you about Abraham and you're not like, this is going to be awesome. Like if you're not feeling that, you're not thinking clearly about Abraham. You're for sure not thinking biblically about what a central character he is in God's redemptive history and what he was doing. If you're not thinking like this is going to be awesome, I want you to start thinking biblically about this. Abraham is a big deal. He was a big deal to the Jews. He should be a big deal to us as this passage will show us. Now, if you know your Bibles, you know that the Jews saw Abraham as their father, which is why I titled the sermon Father Abraham. They looked at Abraham and like he was the guy, right? And you can see this in Jesus's interactions with the, the Jewish people because he's talking to them. Um, you can see this like in John chapter 8. I would encourage you to go read this this week if, you're, if you weren't sure what you were going to do in your quiet time. It's John chapter 8. There you go. You're welcome. So when you're in John chapter 8, you're going to read Jesus talking to the Pharisees and he's having a conversation with them and you'll see that he's preaching the gospel and making disciples. And the Pharisees aren't doing well with this, right? They're starting to get really ticked with this Jesus guy and what he's doing, making disciples that aren't their disciples, just not going well. And Jesus says to them, well, the reason that it's not going well is because you're of your father. And they say, well, well, right, we are of our father. Well, our father is Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone because we belong to Abraham. We're Abraham's descendants. It's, it's like this, John 8, 33. They answered him and said, we're Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you will say that you will become free? So Jesus says to them in verse 37, I, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. And they said, that's right, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. He'll go on to say, the problem is you're not really Abraham's children. <laughs> you're the children of the devil and you're doing the deeds of your father. And they end chapter 8 with trying to stone him for that. Right? He has this conversation with him about age. He says, you guys don't even like Abraham. You're nothing like Abraham because Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not even 50 years old. How did Abraham rejoice to see your day? And Jesus said, well, because before Abraham was, I am. How'd they handle that? Not too good, right? They were incensed because he was claiming to be God. He was claiming deity by using God's covenantal name. So they picked up stones and they wanted to stone him and kill him. So for the Jews, to be Abraham's descendants was a big deal, true or false? That's a big deal for them, right? And so that's what Paul is picking up on here. Now, what I think is happening at the churches in Galatia, though it's not explicitly stated in our text, the question has to be asked, why did Paul bring up Abraham in verse 6? Because he wasn't talking about Abraham anywhere else. But just in verse 6, now he's talking about Abraham. Why is he doing that? And I think... The reason that he's doing that, and the text doesn't say, I'm just guessing from context here, that I think that the false teachers are saying, we're Jews, just like Abraham was a Jew. And if you want to be right with God, you have to be right with God the way that Abraham was right with God, and he was circumcised. He was the first one that was circumcised. And if you want to be Abraham's ascendants, you have to be circumcised. So I think in verse 6, what Paul is doing is like, oh, oh, you want to talk about Abraham? Well, let's. Let's talk about Abraham. And so then look at verse 6 in your Bible. He says, even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. I'm not sure how your Bible works, but in my Bible, it's all caps. And what that means is, is that's an Old Testament quotation. In other words, when Paul wants to talk with him about Abraham, where does he take him? He takes him to the scriptures. He's like, well, let's, let's talk about Abraham and see. So what I want you to do is I want you to take your Bible marker holder thingy, that's a theological term. You might not be familiar with it. Hold it right here in Galatians chapter 3 and flip to the front of your Bible and go to Genesis um, chapter 12. And while you're um, turning to Genesis 12, let me give you the abridged version of what's happened in the first 11 chapters a lot. Let me give you a little more expanded version of what's happened in the first 11 chapters. God has created everything. Okay? He created everything. And then he rested on the Sabbath. That's going to be a great message next week with Pastor Greg, amen? Yeah, that's going to be a good one. He rested on the Sabbath, and um, by chapter 3, Adam and Eve abandoned God's rule and reign. A curse is 
uh, placed on the whole earth and the human race. They're separated from the place of relationship with God. They move forward. They proceed to populate the earth, but sins effects are increasingly getting worse and worse. First, they spiritually died. Now they're physically dying, but they're still living 900 years, 800 years, things like that. And, you know, if you get to live that amount of time with a depraved heart, you can create a lot of wickedness. And they did. Around Genesis chapter 6, God's like, all right, that's it. Time for a do-over. So he's going to flood the earth. He gets Noah and his family, and he says, we're going to save mankind, and we're going to do it through you and your family. Build an ark. It's going to rain. It's going to flood. Get everybody on there. I'm going to send some animals with you. So that goes on for a few chapters. Then Noah and his sons get off the ark, and they begin to repopulate the earth. By Genesis chapter 11, there's a lot more people on the earth again. God had told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They decided they were all going to camp together and do their own thing and build a tower and be their own gods. And God came down and confused their language at the Tower of Babel and spreads them out. The earth continues to populate with different nations and different people. And God decides out of all of the nations that are in the earth, he's going to have a nation for himself. He's, he's going to start his own nation. He's going to have his own group of people separate from all of the other peoples on the earth. And he's going to go get a guy to start that nation with. Because you've got to start with one, right? And when he gets a guy, that's where you're getting in Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, there he is, Abram. Now his name is Abram here. In Genesis chapter 17, God will change his name to Abraham. So as we're talking about Abram and Abraham, we're talking about the same guy. God said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Verse four, so Abram went forth just as the Lord spoke to him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haram. Now that 75 is not like 75 today, but clearly the indication from the text is he was still advanced in years. He wasn't a young guy. It wasn't like he was going to live to be 900, right? He's more than halfway through his life right now. He's in the second half at 75 when God comes to him and says to him, hey, I'm going to create a nation. You're going to be the guy. If you can look up and see all the descendants or the stars in the sky, the sand on the shore, you're going to have more descendants than that. That's what God says to him. And Abram believes him. In verse 4, Abram goes forth just as the Lord had spoken to him. And you can read this week Genesis 13 and 14 and 15 and see kind of now how Abraham's life is reoriented to what God has said to him. And he's a different guy and he's doing different things. But in Genesis 15 now, God comes back to Abraham. Flip over there. Genesis 15. God comes back to Abram and he's going to reiterate what he said to him. He's making a promise to him. And we won't have time for it this morning. But in this promise, there's the promise of the gospel coming. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Literally, God is saying, I will be your very great reward, right? It's just awesome passage. Verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So lots of time has passed since God said to him, you're going to have a bunch of descendants. And Abram's like, well, I don't have any. So how's this going to work? And so God says to him, um, in verse 4, then behold, notice this, underline this phrase in your Bibles, the word of the Lord came to him. God spoke to him. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And God took him outside and he said to Abram, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you were able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now look at verse 6. It's going to look pretty familiar to you. Then... He believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Well, it's exactly the same thing as Galatians 3, 6 says, and it is the verse that Paul is quoting. And he's quoting to them the covenant that God is making with Abraham to say, hey, you're going to have descendants that are going to populate the earth. They're coming through you and somebody who's born to you in your house. Here's how it's going to happen. And how did Abram respond to what God said in verse 6? What's it say? It just says he believed in the Lord. Did he do anything? Did he perform anything? What did he do? He acted like God was telling the truth. He had confidence that what God was saying was true. He believed God. And it says that God reckoned it to him as righteousness. He reckoned it to him as righteousness. When it says that Abraham believed, it just means that he considered it to be true. 
It means to put one's trust in. God spoke to Abraham. Abraham acted like God. What God said was true. That's the definition of faith, by the way. Acting like what God says is true. And what was the result? God reckoned him as righteous. What does that word reckon mean? That word reckon is an accounting term, and it means to be credited to an account or to be put to someone's account or to be accounted. In other words, God spoke, Abraham believed, and God said, I'm crediting to your account righteousness. Now, was Abraham righteous? Did he do anything? Did anything change for him? He just believed God when God spoke to him, and God said, righteous, that's righteous. That's what righteousness looks like. And we see justification here in the Old Testament that Abram believed God and God credited to his account righteousness, right? That's awesome. Now go back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. And now you understand when he quotes verse 6 and he says, even so Abram believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Verse 7 makes a little more sense to us now. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Why do I want to be a son of Father Abraham? Because he is the example of justification by faith, not by works. That when I place my faith and trust in God's finished work through Jesus Christ, when I believe God, that God credits that to my account as righteous. Not my performance, not my works. Abraham just believed God and God said righteous. Was he circumcised and then God made him righteous? No, did he follow the law and then God said you're righteous? The law didn't even come for 430 years. Before Abraham was circumcised, before he could follow the law, God said, righteous. That's righteous. And Paul says to them, you want that same kind of righteousness credited to your account. I'm saying to you, you want that same kind of righteousness credited to your account. Abraham believed and God credited to him as righteousness. So then, look at verse 9. Those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the what? Abraham the what? What's your Bible say? The man of faith. Mine says Abraham the believer. Did he do anything? Did he perform anything? Was his life completely changed? Or did he have faith and confidence in God's word and what he said? Yeah, and God credited to him as righteous. Verse 8, again, and how are people made right with God? The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by what? By faith. By faith, that's how people are made right with God, by placing your confidence and trust in God. And those people who know God and enjoy God's blessings are the people who are trusting in God the same way that Abraham did. Now, notice that it doesn't say that Abraham went and kept God's standards. It doesn't say that Abraham met all of God's requirements. It just says he believed and God counted it as righteousness for him. That's good news. Because I don't know what your performance has been like this past week, but I know people, and I would say that for most of you, it's been not too good. Now, if you're stuck in, I'm a really great guy, then you've got to deal really with the pride issue that's dominating your life right now, because the Bible says there are none good, no, not one. That includes you. And if you deceived yourself into thinking that you're a good guy and that's why you've got a good relationship with God, you're believing the wrong gospel. You're believing a false gospel and your hope is in your performance and not in the performance of Jesus Christ. And that's a damning way to believe and to live your life. God's way of approval and acceptance is and has always been by faith, not by works. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be like Abraham. I want you to be full of faith. I think God's word is saying, be like Abraham, be full of faith. That's what your life is supposed to be like. That's God's acceptance. That's God's approval. That's what God's after in your life. He's after faith. It's the only basis of acceptance and approval in God's family. I mean, isn't that how we got in? That's what Ephesians 2.8 says. For it is by grace that you have been saved through, what's the word? Faith, right? It was the gift of God. It was by grace. You weren't good. God was good. And he gave it to you as a gift. Or Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you had been following along in Galatians with us, you would see at the end of chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I'm now living in the flesh, I live by, I live by faith. 
and the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. And listen, church, there's not a thing that you're facing in your life that faith isn't the right response. Nothing in your life has nothing to do with faith. Every single thing that you're facing right now and are going to face tomorrow, God wants you to respond in faith. The challenge is, is that when I say that in our culture, you hear the word faith, and maybe you've come from a church with terrible theology, doesn't even open God's word, doesn't let God determine anything. They're the determiner of everything. And so they would teach you something that faith is like your uh, belief, right? Faith is in your willpower. Like you just have to believe enough. You just have to have enough belief in something. And if you can muster up enough will-powered belief, then that's faith. And that's not faith biblically. But that's what gets called faith in our culture today. Biblical faith is not faith in faith. Faith in I hope so. Faith in my ability to believe. Or like this woman who was in our church one time when we were pastoring in the Florida Keys. Everyone has a cross to bear. That was ours for seven years. Another magnificent sunset, Lord, thank you. Paradise again every day, right? Just, just trust me, it was hard. Seven years, just loving God's creation there. We were in this prayer meeting one time with this lady who comes from one of these churches like that, right? And she had just shown up to this thing, and she was talking about how her boat motor went out. And then we were like praying with her and asking God to provide a boat motor. And she said, no, 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 no. You don't have to pray and ask God to provide a boat motor. I was praying and I had a vision and I saw my boat motor in the future. And I just have to, by faith, go get the boat motor and bring it back. And and then I'm in the prayer meeting and I'm like, wait, 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 what? Wait, what are you talking about? Where is that? Like you have faith in your faith. You have faith in your ability to believe that something is going to happen. Good vibes, good vibes, it'll just happen. Get the negative vibes out. I just need good vibes. What is that? That's not biblical Christianity, and that's not what faith is. That's social media faith, which is anathema. It's not willpowered hope. When people say, well, I just got to believe, I just got to trust, I would just say this to you, believe what? Believe what? Trust what? Faith always has an object. It's faith in something or faith in someone. Some of us have more faith in the voices that we hear in our head than we do with God's actual word. I was reminded as I was preparing for this message of a story that I can't get out of my head. It happened in January of 2018 to a man named Chad England. Uh, he's 33 years old. He was arrested when his truck flipped five times because, quote, Jesus was calling him and advised him to let go of the wheel as he drove down the interstate. I mean, there's a man of faith, right? Jesus called me to let go of this wheel. I'm going to let it go. What faith? What faith? Well, it wasn't actually faith. When the troopers got to him, they found six grams of marijuana, half a gram of cocaine, two empty bottles of liquor, and cans that were used for inhaling various substances. It would appear that the voices that he heard weren't actually coming from Jesus. It's a silly story. The man didn't die. Nobody got hurt. But I can't tell you how many Christians that I run to that treat faith like that. God just called me and God just told me to do this and I got to do it and, our, and I'm not being faithful. And like, listen, God just called me and God just told me better have a chapter and a verse at the end of it. Right? God, God has spoken and he has spoken clearly in his word and it is final and full revelation and everything that pertains to life and godliness that God wants to direct his children through is found here. The spirit of God uses the word of God to instruct the people of God in the will of God. The word of God is the will of God. We spend so much time trying to figure out God's will. God's will is not about your location. It's not about your house. It's about your character. It's about the kind of person you are, the kind of life that you live. So you shouldn't be saying, Jesus, take the wheel. I just got to have faith. That's not what we're talking about, no matter what Carrie Underwood says. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. What did Abram believe? Look at verse 6. What's it say? It's not a trick question. You're going to just look in your Bible. He believed God. Abram believed 
God. Well, how did he know what God said? What verse did I have? What phrase did I have you underline in Genesis chapter 15? The word of the Lord came to Abram. God spoke to him. He knew what God said, and he did what God required. It is the only example um, that we have of what faith is, is that we place our faith and trust in what God has said. Now, if we're going to have faith in Christ, let's just finish very quickly with these three things. What does it look like to be full of faith, right? I said be full of faith. You're like, great, I'm going to be full of faith, but it means keeping my hands on the steering wheel. Is that right? Am I following? And I would say that's a really good plan. I would encourage you to do that. But here's what it means to be full of faith. You want to be full of faith? It's these three things. The first, first thing is this. You've got to be converted. Right? If you want to be full of faith like Abraham, you've got to be converted. We're talking about people who have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and repented of their sins, trusting in Jesus Christ alone to make them right with God and keep them right with God. They don't trust in their church attendance. They don't trust in their performance. They don't trust in their lineage. They don't trust in anything but Jesus Christ to make them right with God and keep right with God. And every single person has uh, a relationship with God, has so on the basis of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you get a new identity, right? You're, you're a new person. You're not who you were. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been changed. You're not the same. Your standing with God is different. And you need to believe God about your identity. Part of what it means, listen, converted Christians, to be full of faith is to believe God. Believe God about your identity. You are who God says you are. Just sang about that. You're, you're not your performance. You're not your past. You're not your profession. You are who God says you are. You're not more than that, but you're certainly not less than that. You are who God says you are, and we need to believe God with our identity. I'm not the drug addict that I used to be. I'm not the porn addict that I used to be. I'm not the angry man who hated everybody that I used to be. I, that guy's dead. I've been crucified with Christ. A new guy is alive, and I have to believe God when I don't feel that way and I don't perform that way. Who's right, me or God? And the answer is, well, God's right, and I have to believe God. That's what it means to be full of faith. I believe that I'm eternally loved, that God can't love me more. He can't because he loves me perfectly because he loves me on the basis of his son's performance. And how was his performance? That perfect is the word you're looking for. Therefore, God's love is perfectly expressed in my life. I'm completely forgiven, and I agree with God that I'm still helpless apart from the Spirit's work and empowering. That what Jesus said in John 15, 5 is true. When he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So in humble dependence, I trust God. I trust him for salvation, and I trust him for sanctification. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, Colossians 2, 6 tells us, doesn't it? Therefore, as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in him. How'd you receive him? Faith, right? Humble dependence, just trusted him. Trusted him to make you right. Trusted him to change you. You just cast yourself on him and said, I can't do it. I need you. Please help me. And how did he respond? Like the father in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son. That's how he responded. With joy and with happiness, with celebration. The Bible says that there's joy in the presence of heaven. There's joy in the presence of the angels in heaven when a sinner repents and places their faith and trust in Christ. You ever think about that verse? There's joy in the presence of angels? Who has the joy? Well, where are the angels? They're with the Father. When a sinner turns to the Lord, he loves that. And that's his disposition towards you forever, Christian, because you're in Christ. Believe it. Confront your feelings and your doubt and look to Jesus Christ for your identity and your relationship with God. Abraham believed God. He trusted God. But he knew what God said. He knew what God said. This is critical. If you're going to be full of faith, not only do you have to be converted, you heard the good news and you responded and believed it, but you have to be, secondly, you have to be word-saturated. You have to be word-saturated. And I chose that word carefully and on purpose because I think it conveys the idea of what God's people need to think about in their relationship to God. You don't have a quiet time. You don't have devotions. 
You don't have a checklist of, I got to get this meeting with God over with. Check, I did it. Daily crouton, read, it's over with. I'll meet you back here tomorrow, God. That's not the Christian life. And anybody who told you that is wrong. And they were leading you astray. The people of God are saturated with the word of God. Psalm 1 says they meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Like a tree planted by the water. Like God's word is just saturating their life in so many ways. Faith is not some mystical, don't know if I really have it, kind of nebulous belief. Faith is confidence in God's word, which is synonymous with God and his character. Faith is confidence in God's word. Confidence in God's word. All right, like think about this. If, if I said to you, turn to a, a chapter in your Bible that talks about faith a lot, where would you go? Me too. I'd go to Hebrews 11 too because in there you see all of these Old Testament saints who had this faith relationship with God like Noah in verse 7. And it says, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. Like what? What, what hadn't he seen yet? Flood, whatever that was. Rain, right? Destroying the whole earth, whatever's going on there. How that's all going to happen. The earth bursting forth water like God told him a lot of things that were going to happen that Noah no no way he could have pictured it all right but God told him it was going to happen by faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to righteousness comes how by your performance being a good person by faith. Why build an ark? Because God said to. That's faith. Faith is acting like God told the truth. It's believing the word of God and acting on it. That's faith. Or Abram in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8. By faith Abraham when he was called this is crazy. He obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. I'm not even really sure how you do that. Like, I want to go. I have the GPS. Just give me the address. And God didn't give it to him. And he's just like, get moving and I'll get you there. And Abram, by faith, went out and got moving and did what God said. Not even knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Why, why leave his home? Why leave his family? Why go to a place he had never been to before, to do things he had never done before? Why do any of that? Why? Tell me, church, why? Faith, because God spoke. Because he knew what God said. And it changed the way that he acted. What about his wife, Sarah? Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised her faith wasn't in herself wasn't in Abraham's ability wasn't in her ability she considered God faithful the one who promised he, he's gonna do it I don't know how he's gonna do it doesn't make sense to me he said he's gonna do it I trust him he's gonna do it Abraham again in verse 17 by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac well who's Isaac he's the one who had received the promises He's offering up his only begotten son, the one that God said all the other descendants are going to come from. He's going to kill him. Why would he do that? It makes no sense at all. It says in verse 18, it was to he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendant, shall be called. Why did he do it? Number one, because of faith. God told him to. He knew what God said. He knew what God required. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. I don't know how it's going to work out. Don't know where I'm going. Don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, but you can just see the faith in Abraham's life if you know the story, right? They're going up to sacrifice on the mountain. Isaac starts putting it together. Got the mountain. Got the firewood. Going to build the altar. Something's missing. Right, the sacrifice was missing. And what did Abraham say? Do you remember? Yeah, the Lord will provide a sacrifice for himself. Faith. 
faith that God was going to take care of it, trust in what the Lord has said, even though he couldn't figure out how it was all going to work out. He just trusted the Lord. I mean, just example after example after example in chapter 11 of Hebrews. They can't even get to all of them. So he just summarizes this way in verse 32. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, by faith performed acts of righteousness, by faith attained promises, by faith shut the mouths of lions, by faith quenched the power of fire, by faith escaped the edge of the sword, by faith from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated men of whom the world was not worthy. They're wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Why? Why were they doing all of that? Because of faith, because God had spoken and it radically changed their lives. It says in verse 39, and all these having gained approval through their, through their faith, not through their performance, not through their own goodness, but through their faith, their humble trust in the Lord. Trust in what God has said. You have to know what God has said. Hebrews chapter 1 reminds us, listen, God used to speak in lots of different times and in many different ways. He spoke to the prophets and in many ways, but in verse 2 it says, in these last days he's spoken to us in a son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also made the world. Peter goes on to say that everything that God wants us to know pertaining to life and godliness he's given us here. You must be saturated with the word of God so that you can live out the will of God in your life. If you want to live a life of faith, you have to know God. And in order to know God, you need to know his book. God wrote a book. And in his book, he chose to reveal himself. And you don't know who God is except for what this book says. You don't know what Jesus is like except for what this book says. And if you believe things about God that aren't in this book, you have a God of your own making. If you believe things about Jesus that aren't in this book, you have a Jesus of your own making. God could have revealed himself in any way, and he did in lots of ways. But in these last days, he's revealed himself in his word. And Jesus Christ is the word of God, John chapter 1. So if you want to know God, you've got to know his word. And I started by trusting the message that I heard from this book. That's how I got into the family. I continue by trusting the message that I read in this book. And I'll be completed and perfected, practicing what he says, trusting what his word says, letting him do the work in me and through me. And this last and final point, and we'll be done, is listen, to live a life full of faith, we've already kind of referenced it, but it's this, it's a life full of action. Isn't it? Isn't a life full of faith a full of action? But wait, 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 verse 6 says that Abram believed God, and then God credited to him his righteousness. That's right. But a person who actually has justification also progresses in sanctification. Their life is forever changed. James will say that if you have faith, but you don't have works, your faith is it's dead. And he's talking about root and fruit. The root is faith. And if you actually have faith, it's going to produce the fruit of works. We get messed up when we get that backwards. The works come as a result of our relationship with God, not because we're trying to earn a relationship with God, but make no mistake, works are a part of the Christian life. And I would just say this in closing, you live the way you live because you think the way you think. Like take any action in your life that you're looking at. You do that action because you think a certain way. That's why you act that way. And the mistake that we make in the Christian life so often is we have actions that are sinful in our life, all of us do. James says we all fall in many ways and we just, we know they shouldn't be there so we want to get rid of them. And so we've been told that the way to get rid of that act is just to start another act. I've got to get better habits. I've got to be more disciplined. I've I just got to replace it. And what we're doing is, is we're shuffling our flesh to another flesh pattern. None of it is righteousness. And so that's why, you know, like when January 2nd rolls around, I haven't seen the gym. 
the diet, one day of diet, done. One day of working out, whoo, glad to get that over with. Why? One day of devotions, done. Why? Why? Because you're doing it all in your own strength and you're doing it in your own power and you haven't confronted the thoughts that lead you to a famine of time in God's word with your soul starving and why you don't enjoy the presence of God and why you don't enjoy fellowship with God and why you love other things more than you love Jesus. You never dealt with any of those heart issues. You were just like, oh, Christians read the Bible. I got to read the Bible. I'm going to do it. Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by your flesh, Christian? What's the answer? And the answer is no. But I thought we were supposed to read the Bible. You are. But if you're doing it to earn God's approval and God's acceptance, you couldn't be more wrong. He can't approve you and accept you more because you're in Christ. Bible reading is not so that I get something from God. It's so that I commune with God and enjoy God and understand who God is. And God reveals me to myself when I read his word. And I see how much I'm not like him changes my heart and changes my mind and causes me to enjoy God. We have to have a heart change or there's no lasting change. And so I would just say to you, in closing, I want you to be like Abraham Church. I want you to be full of faith. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today would be the day for you. You don't have to come to the altar. You, you can sit there and just pray and say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I'm asking Jesus Christ to save me. Cleanse me from my sins. Make me a new person. Adopt me into your family. And that prayer of faith, God responds to. Some of you need to be converted. Some of you need to be saturated in the Word of God. And some of you need to take what you don't need more Bible knowledge. You're puffed up with Bible knowledge. You're winning all of the Bible trivia games but your life looks nothing like Jesus Christ. And the things that you know aren't benefiting you because you're not uniting them with faith. Trust in what God has said and obedience to what he has said and humble dependence on his spirit. And I want you to be like Abraham, full of trust in God, full of trust in his character and in his plans and in his promises, gratitude for what he has done, and then action in God's power. All right, well, let's pray together. God, thanks so much for the example of Abraham. Thank you that you, we can come and learn and see what it looks like to be a man who has been approved and received, not because of his works, not because he was a good guy, not because there was anything admirable in him. But you spoke. And by faith, Abraham believed you. And I pray that for every person here this morning, Lord, that that would be the example and the model of our life, that we would know you because we know your word, because your spirit lives in us and empowers us to walk with you and through you. And so, Father, I'm praying for real life change in the hearts of your children this morning, that they do identify areas where they're trusting in their self, they're trusting in their own performance, they're not trusting in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you and the power of your spirit would help them repent and to trust Jesus Christ fully, not just for salvation, but for sanctification and to stay in a right relationship with you, that they'd be done with their acts of penance, punishing themselves, hoping that somehow they can work their way back into your good graces. Oh God, free them from the bondage of the law. Lift their eyes up to see the good news of Jesus Christ, that in him we are forever right with you because we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You've saved us from who we were. You've changed us. By your grace, we are now your children. And by your grace, we will remain your children. And by your grace, you will bring us home. And so, Father, we give you thanks and praise for all of this. We ask these things in Jesus' name.